Are you ready? No. Three, two, one. Okay. Hello. Sorry, I wasn't. I didn't actually know you were going to press record or anything. And, and welcome. I, just, I was really surprised. To shut up and sit down. The podcast. A podcast. I'm really about sorry. Board games. Apologies. Card games. We and- can start now. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> And I feel uh, really kind of off. This is a podcast about board games. My name's Quentin Smith. Hello. And I'm joined by Paul Dean. We Who? work on a website called Shut Up and Sit Down. I was. This is the one time I wanted you to come in. I'm and you really. Didn't I'm so in. sorry. I just. I feel like let's let's pretend that didn't happen. So okay. how are you, Quentin Smith? I'm good. I've been playing all kinds of board games. Would you recently. like to tell me three? Bo- the top. What are the top three board games you played recently? Uh, the top three board. Well, I don't know about top, but I've got the three most interesting board games. Okay, I've that's talk good. About. That's good though. Because they haven't been discussed elsewhere Can, on the I'll, site. I'll ask you that immediately because I don't know what they are. <laughs> no, really. Sorry. Um, uh, they are the Great Fire of London. Yeah. It's published by Pandasaurus. That's a game about fire and the men who fight them but also sometimes don't because you just let the fire take just eat whole bits of town because that might be worth points for you it might be <laughs> uh, I've been playing uh, I've been playing stuff but apparently everything on this list is well I've been playing stuff and reviewing stuff and whereas you of course have been in sunny San Francisco playing, sunny. All, playing all kinds of stuff that hasn't yet been reviewed on the site so this podcast that's true um, I, I want to ask but first I want to know about Great Fire of London okay. I, guess. <laughs> I mean there, there's some things I can come out with uh, and I know you've played a few things and obviously we've got stuff that's coming up on the site mm. that we won't we'll try not to overlap on here as well but Great Fire isn't is it? isn't what? Isn't no no the... no it's not quite interesting enough or like good enough for us to review it falls in that really sad zone where it's not got big <laughs> really it's not zone. it's not got big, the sad zone Fire's traditionally associated with sad they zones. Are. That's true. But in this case, it's just, you know, there's not much hype around it, and it's not that good. So, uh, yeah, it's just not the thing that we're really interested in giving the full review treatment. So, why was that? What uh, what was... But it wasn't bad, was it? What, no. What about uh, it was Me, Matt, and Brendan did enjoy it. So, th- okay. the, the, the setup is the, is the most interesting thing about it, which yeah. is the, fi- the Great Fire of London in the 17th century has started in Pudding Mill Lane. Yeah. And all the players represent wealthy landowners. So, before the game begins, you scatter coloured houses, wooden houses, all over a gorgeous map of London. And... Um, then you will draw a card and it says, Paul, you're looking after red houses. That's your secret house oh, that you're trying to protect. Yeah. And every house of your colour that burns down loses you two points. Then uh, you also have certain districts, which are also secret that you might be trying to keep safe. Like, um, And they're worth more points the closer they are to the starting point of the fire. So broadly, you're trying to protect all the blue houses, but also you really don't want the hospital, like St. John's Hospital, to burn down or mm, whatever. Yeah. Which is, it obviously has an amazing layer of, of hilarity if, you, like we do, live in London because it has areas on it like Shoreditch. And God knows what it was in the 17th century, but these days it's like hipster central. You know, it's, it's the home of asymmetrical haircuts and bagel shops and brunch. So obviously the concept of that burning down, while this was, of course, an enormous tragedy, has a layer of hilarity. Oh dear. But do you, okay, so do you know what colour everyone is or no. are you all secretly no. pushing the it's, fire in yeah, a direction? It's all secret. And yeah. it's very odd because um, Matt described it quite quickly because the strategy of it's very odd as, as creating and forging rivers... Yeah, because you can you pick up fire and you spread it, mm-hmm. and fire can always sort of like travel like water through other fires, and then players have to spread the fire on their turn in a compass direction. They also can then run in and heroically try and put out fires with the help of fire safety crews, and if as you put out fires, you actually also get points. So you're trying to stop the fire naturally, but also trying to burn down your friend's holdings while also trying to figure out. Like what colour everyone what colour they be. are. So broadly, you can have the basic strategy of if, if I'm pushing the fire east, you want to push it west. But then, you know, you can sort of figure out more than that. Like, the cute thing that happened in our game is because there are six colours. Even You always play with six colours. I was going to say, so there might be players who aren't... There might be colours that aren't yeah, represented well, by a player. You know that's the fact. And what was really funny in our game is we you looked at the score track halfway through and, like, there were three colours of houses that had burned down way less... <laughs> than all the others because obviously we were trying yeah. to protect them and it's that moment where it's like oh you're purple except then you weren't even purple you were just trying to save a hospital it's just funny and then um, it has a pandemic style thing where at set points through the game in pandemic the disease just sort of reinvigorates itself and explodes across you know India or wherever in this the fire just just explodes and something you thought was safe the fire just catches and spreads and, uh, and suddenly so, well, it rains the thing out of control is- 
All that sounds pretty good, though. That sounds both sort of like a good concept and quite funny. Yeah, absolutely. The, so it didn't, but it didn't quite grab you. Well, okay, so it, it kind of. Oh, I feel awful saying this because it, it was lovely. But okay, so setup yeah. takes a bit longer than you'd like. Rules explanation is a bit trickier than you'd like. How to play well is kind of confusing. How to win is kind of confusing. And how to stop other players is also confusing. We had a bizarre thing. I mean, it, none of which makes it a bad game, but it does make it a hard sell. Yeah. So we had a bizarre thing where we. <laughs> it was. You have to picture the scene that all of our landowners go, It's a fire! Oh no! And they run in with the fire services. And then all three of us, with all the fire services, ran in and fought the fire. And the fire wasn't even a great fire at all. We had it quite contained. And then slowly but surely, we all realised... Like, you have to imagine our landowners saying, This is under control. Just take a step back. Just, 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 just walk away. Just, here's some money. Walk away. Because we realised that to actually win, you want, the fire has to burn down your friends' houses. So you're simultaneously fighting the fire and not fighting the yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. Which was just... It, it. We play games for a living and it took us a long time to get our head around. But maybe we're just stupid or confused by fire. So it, would you... Do you think it could be fixed with maybe a bit of tweaking or something? No. Every, <laughs> what, <laughs> what makes that game complicated is, uh, is everything about it, you know? Like, oh. there's no... But it sounds like a good concept. You know, I don't think it needs a fix. Is the better answer to what you to the, to the thing you said, okay. rather than the really catty thing I, no, I said. No, that's all right. I think people could actually buy it and love it, especially if they if they like the look of that London map or they want something interesting. I know there's a game about uh, rescuing Roman villages when Vesuvius erupts as well, which I think is a similar thing. And survive, escape from Atlantis. I, oh yeah. I guess this is actually kind of a mini genre of here are some people, here's a disaster, get as many of them to safety as you can. Yeah, yeah. And make sure bad. The simultaneous thing where all the players control the disaster, but also the people. Like, there's yeah. another game. What's it called? There's a volcano in the center of the island and it's spewing lava. And you're oh. trying... Yeah, you're, you're using stone and wood to ford the lava into the sea. And yeah, not into I can't your remember people. what that's called. But yeah, I think there must be like five or six of these games that I could name. There are not enough volcanoes in games either. No. There's volcanoes in that old dinosaurs, Waddington games from the 80s. Oh, the one we played, yeah. Which... Well, I think... I used to have that when I was a kid. And it's got a pterodactyl and men with... Guns. I think injection molded 80s plastic volcano is an obvious thing to do, right? Because yeah. it's like it is static and yet really dynamic. Yeah, as a that's landscape. True. You more can't volcanoes in games. More volcanoes in games. Um, I'm okay with that. Well, okay, so, well, you've kind of eclipsed my great fire with the talk of volcanoes. Now fire seems kind of piddly. Well, um, volcanoes, fire. So let's talk about. Uh, ooh, well, let's kind of keep the historical thing going. You played, okay. a, you played a game called Jamaica. I did play a game called Jamaica, which. Arriba! No, that's Mexico. Uh, is it? Yeah. It's basically the same thing. Um, keep going. Uh, yeah, it's Jamaica's a game of ships and pirates, and you race the ships around an island, and basically what you need Why to do. Why are you racing? Pirates. <laughs> There's, I think there is actually a story in the manual that's like someone's decided, uh, pirates decided to have a pirate race around the pirate island. Okay. And at the end, you want to have more points than anyone else, which is a combination of where you finish in the order, but also like how much gold you have on your ship. Oh, you can collect gold on the way. You can collect gold on the way, and you can collect cannons, and you need the cannons because if you land in the same square as another pirate ship, you can shoot at them and then take something from them. Okay. Which could be their gold, or it could be their treasure because they might have a hidden treasure card which might be more gold or it might yes. actually be a curse but you won't know because they'll quietly sit on it and, <laughs> and then they'll let ship. you mug them basically. they'll let you mug them and go ha so you described this game to me as it seemed really simple but actually had hidden depth it had an amount of hidden depth in that what you do is uh, to move you have a selection of cards um, that give you different options and every turn one player will roll a pair of paradise and put them down and uh, put them down either in one order or in another order. So one die goes first, one die goes second. And the cards that you have have certain instructions on them. And depending on where the die, the dice have been put, um, that'll affect the card that you play. The cards that you play will have two sections. And one might be how far you move and the other might be how much food you collect this turn. And you need food Oh, you need food. Well. Or this it might be how, much, how many cannons you get or something. So you'd, someone puts down, say, a one and a five... Uh, rolls the dice, puts them down, and one has to go first, then five. So you look at your cards and you go, well, I've got a card that tells me food and cannons, so I can get one food and five cannons, or I've got a card that lets me move a certain number of places and get a thing. Oh, I see. And each turn you have a selection of these cards. And That's you clever. Put one down. 
Yeah, and what you're what you're trying you're, to like, do, you're, like, you're, is... you're frowning like. It yeah, is. It's there's an, it's not well, there's an element of it's not massively deep, but there's an element of you try and land. You look at where you might be in the turn order, and you try and land on squares with other people, and you can see, you know, if they don't have very many cannons, they've got a bunch of gold. You look at your cards, and you'll think, right, this turn I can, based on what the dice are doing, I could move three spaces and collect a bunch of cannons, land on top of this other player, and attack them, and probably win. So there's a probably get their stuff. Uh, riddle me this, uh, board game man. Hello. Um, I, I had no idea where that reference was going. No. Um, a lot of family games, which is which sounds like yeah, what this is, it's it's quite accessible. Seem and to open. Ha- seem to have trouble landing that balance that say Ticket to Ride lands. I know you're not a big fan of Ticket to Ride, but the yeah, thing about it here. <laughs> is you can put down plastic trains and you don't need too much of a strategy. And you can generally have a good time. The thing yes. I found playing Relic Hunters and a lot of family, quote-unquote, family games yes. is that they have trouble being strategic without being such that the smart player will always win. Because you don't want that from a family game. Well, yeah, this is it. I mean, there's an element of strategy in it. And um, I think it, it felt like a game where the people who were good at games were doing a bit better. And so, you know, I was, I was terrible. Because <laughs> I'm terrible at all games in history. Which is fine. But... Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. It's open enough that you could play it with your family, but it's got enough of a system that if you are sensible, and particularly you can start... You can't really plan ahead because you don't know what dice rolls are going to be in advance, but you can certainly do okay. a little bit of hand management and you can do a little bit of managing your inventory and that that makes sense. Sure. Um, um, which makes it sort of a, a middle-of-the-road, not bad, quite nice game you can play that I, I wouldn't really recommend but I had a perfectly decent time playing well I'm actually sense. gonna I'm gonna quote you what you said before it's the podcast fine. which is it's an entirely fine game that I cannot imagine myself or anyone else buying ever yeah it's it's <laughs> it's not for me but it's it looks good though it looks pretty and it's got some ships and I was in a ship and it was black and it went around the board at a certain speed and, and you, I had and it was fine I had choices about where I could go at certain I points I think it's important for the it's, for, yeah. the, for the readers listening to this to understand that when you say things like that that's a good thing it's, like it's okay, anyone yeah. else says I, I have a ship and I move around and I do a thing that sounds like <laughs> underwhelming but for you you kind of enjoy these I mean right like just a system that ticks over can make Paul quite happy I'm trying to I think partly I, I probably I was eating something that I liked at the time that may, have, <laughs> that may have biased me and I might associate Jamaica and pirates now with good food uh, which is not historically accurate that's fine I'm looking for a food reference uh, um, well, I'll tell you what, let's continue moving through history. History. Uh, more modern than, well, similarly Uh-oh. historic. Uh-oh. We'll move on to the modern stuff later. Uh, or the fantastical. So let's eat our vegetables. I was going to say, you know, this isn't this link isn't going to work. I'm doing my best. I'm really sorry. What is it? What's uh, rival, rivals of no? Okay, so we'll do all the historical stuff. Eat our vegetables, then move on to the delicious dessert of fantasy and laser warfare. All right. So rival, <laughs> rivals of Catan, you played, which is yeah. a, a two-player settlers of Catan. It is, uh, which I wasn't sure what I was going to think about, and I quite liked it. Uh, I'm surprised. Does it have a hexagonal world still? It has a square world. What you do is you have what? two pla- I know. I'm going to knock the tripod off. You have two players and you have... um, It's a little bit like tile laying. You have a deck of cards and what happens with your starting deck of cards is they're like a town and some roads and a region and each uh, bit of your region generates a certain resource on a certain die roll. And you have a shared board. You don't. You've got two completely separate boards. Your opponent has a completely separate board op- opposite you. Wow, but Katana's a game all about, like, you know, jostling for space. Not, not anymore. Oh, shit. No, it's about building two long, strange, ribbon-like lands <laughs> that <laughs> gradually expand left and right. Um, well, you okay. still have a thing where you roll, you roll one... where you roll two dice every turn one die is a number from one to six which will de- generate a different resource for each of you because you have different right. yeah. numbers that correspond to different things so it sounds like the only thing that's keeping this the same as settlers of Catan is that you have a shared die roll and both yes. draw your resources from it you do um and the kind of the theme is similar because the resources are the same and there are roads and there are towns there are people as well uh, there's a man named Harold, and really, yeah, you can build him, and he sits there, and he looks. Are you kidding? He looks a bit like a person who's sort of on the front of a newspaper when a manhunt's happening, <laughs> which isn't good. And he's like a card. What? What is? Is he really well, he, called Harold? He's called Harold, but with an A, Harold or something. Oh, Harold. Um, but yeah, the idea is you'll. What does um, he do? Sorry, I'm stuck on this man. <laughs> 
I'll come back to him in a minute. Uh, you put down your towns and your roads and you gradually lay things next to them and then the idea is you want to expand a road a bit further out so you collect resources, you put down another town. As soon as you put down more stuff on the edge of your town, you draw more resource cards and they go down and they'll have a certain die roll number. And Yeah, yeah. Um, you'll no. gradually generate more and more resources, hopefully. Okay, what this sounds like to me, uh-huh. you can finish your explanation if, sure. you're, if you're not done yet. But uh, but okay, so there's a game called Machi Koro, which is a Japanese game. I don't I, know that. Well, it's new. I am so excited that we're being sent a copy. I think some Americans oh, really? got their hands on it. Yeah, and people called it a kind of lightweight Japanese Settlers of Catan because all it is, it's actually contemporary. You can build amusement parks and cheese factories. I think. Oh, good. That's what I got from. Uh, I like of, cheese. Yeah, it's like really colourful. I like factories. But you start the game with just a card that's like grain, right? Yeah. And the grain, all it does, for, and some coins, and it does, you roll a dice, and it's like if you get a six, then everybody gets one coin. It's a terrible card. But then you use your money to just buy extra cards that might, like, say, if you roll a four, you get twice what you would have received otherwise and all this stuff. So essentially, you're trying to build up a tableau of cards in front of you that end up being a slot machine. So if you roll a four, you can go, yeah, oh, my yeah. God, I get gold from that, and then my gold for the turn is doubled by the amusement park, and then... The amusement park is powered by the cheese fact. Like, well, I don't even know. Yeah, all, but I see what you mean. It, all it is is building your own kind of roulette, like building almost your own casino. So it's like Settlers of Catan's dice rolling resource management, but just, yes, we rolled a one. That means none of you guys get anything, but because I invested heavily in this, the, the schools, yeah. whatever, I can now turn that one into a two, whatever, all this stuff. That's yeah. all it sounds like. Uh, but uh, It might be similar, yeah. Mm. I mean, it was it was the same kind of thing of... Uh, you you gradually widen and widen your tableau of cards, and hopefully you so you build new towns. That obviously gives you points, but it gives you access to new resources. And you also um, you've got ever changing. Well, depending if you want to, you've got a load of special cards that are certain buildings you can also slot in okay. to these gaps, and those buildings the do things. Yeah. They okay. do things like they double the production of what they're next to, or they can be a person like Harold, and they give you <laughs> they give you certain skill points or bonuses. Or is um, Harold the only person who lives in your town? He's the only person I can remember. Oh, okay. Because something happened with Harold, and he ended up in a salt silo or something, <laughs> like and inside the silo. I don't. Re- I can't remember, and it was a bit weird. Did you know uh, during okay. there are some. There are some awful facts. Oh my god, why am I talking about this? I go on. I have to now. It started. There are some awful statistics in the USSR about uh, people who died falling into grain silos because it's not like water, you can't swim up. Yeah. So you just slip down into into grain and no way to get you out again, no way to swim up. You just and you awful awful stats. Wow. So Harold, though not, I think Harold was having fun. This is a lightweight family game, by himself. right? No murder. But you're describing well. <laughs> there is there as well as some of the stuff you can build. You can build trade ships that you you plop down somewhere and they murder? improve your ability to trade. But you can build pirate ships which attack other players. There's more player interaction than I felt like. There's more player interaction than there is in basic Catan. Did it feel like build. a Catan game at all? I don't know what a catan. It's the same theme, but it it played fairly differently to settlers, and it had a bit more oh, but you know deliberate what? player agitation and competition, which was interesting. You do seem to be describing this in the same uh, earthy tone as Jamaica. It. You do you, you enjoyed it? Would you? No, I, I liked it more than Jamaica, and I because it's a small box game and not too expensive, um, and like it was, it's quite random. Which I wouldn't always enjoy because the cards that you draw are random and obviously the die rolls are random. But it was quite easy to play and not too big or not too expensive and quite easy to teach. And it's going to be quite different every time you play it. So sure. I came away thinking it's quite good. I quite like yeah, this. Yeah, I've heard some really good things about... Um, Which I didn't expect to. There are two player versions of popular German super games, Agricola and Le Havre, which are like... In, I've heard entirely different, player, but Agricola kind of... is quite different. It was quite different to Sellers of Catan, yeah. In okay. sort of like some of the theme and mechanics is the same, but actually how you play works out a bit different. Cool. Well, then if pe- it was good, if people to listen listening to this want some strategic heavyweight stuff for two players, then maybe this is the stuff for you. Yeah, not too, not too heavyweight, fairly random, but easy, and okay. uh, you just need to have lots of room to your left and right to expand. Oh. That's the main thing. You like at a buffet? A wide, you need a buffet table to play on, or a breakfast bar. Okay, I mean, I was bar. thinking if you eat at a buffet, you need space to the left and right to expand. You do, but uh, if you have a buffet... Okay, I'm bored of history now. Oh dear. You played Ascension for the first I time. I play... Okay, so, I mean, does Ascension exist in real life, or is it just the app? No. <laughs> it, it exists in real life. So, for people at home who don't know, maybe, 
there is a game called Dominion, which is called a deck building game. Yes. And what this is, is loads of cards form a kind of market that you can visit and buy in the center of the table. And you're kind of medieval landlords who uh, have a deck, a very thin deck, deck and you're bu- using hands drawn from that deck to buy more cards uh, and ultimately turn your deck into a powerful engine. But the thing with Dominion is it's medieval and basically has no theme. You kind of play card lords buying you, you cards. You get cards that allow you to get more cards and hopefully you get better cards and, and then you get powerful cards. With the cards ultimate goal of buying victory cards. point cards which are land or... I mean, it kind of has theme, but not really. So then, no, it doesn't really. Then you got the second wave of collectible... Uh, of de- oh, Sorry, of deck building games like Thunderstone Advance. Thunderstone. Uh, and uh, Core Worlds, which you've played, and Ascension. I can't remember anything about Core Worlds. All of these games said Dominion's good, but let's spice it up with yeah, some let's spicy try and alter the theme. or lasers. Or and, alter the rules, and which Asc- Ascension does. Ascension turns it into a... Yes, it, slightly, but still, my problem with Ascension was that while you are battling magical creatures and claiming them, and it has these four factions, I think, yeah. you're still not really playing with your opponents, right? You, uh, no, you're not really. You're still... Um, you have some attack... Like, like in Dominion, actually. In fact, I'd say Dominion, arguably, if you, if you pick the right kind of attack cards and things for setup, Dominion has way more player interaction than Ascension. Sure. Ascension has some attack cards where you'll play something and it'll hamper your opponents for a turn, or it'll force them to dis- discard something that they're using. Um, and it has some cards where you might be able to discard a card from the center tableau that someone else might have been wanting. Oh, but yeah, no, it's, there, it's still it's still basically a game where you um, you collect cards and the cards allow you to collect more cards. The difference is <laughs> the, all the cards themselves are worth points. Dominion has a thing where you have cards that are usually only victory point cards and they're useless for everything else. Just about every card you buy in Ascension is worth points. So, uh, especially that, that feeling of ascending, you know? Right? Giving that feeling yeah. of just constantly just watch, I'll just get another card this turn, I'll get another card. I don't feel it has as much strategy or depth as. Uh, Dominion yeah because I feel like a lot of it is just card grabbing it's, and it's madder it's jankier it's de- it definitely feels to me like the American kind of wild colourful wild it is, yeah it is that it has a thing it has a uh, how can I describe this you've got sort of two different variables to track and one of them is how much damage you can do and the other one is how many points you can spend on cards and each turn you can uh, you know, the cards that you play will have either triangles, which are sort of coins that you can use to buy cards, <laughs> or red blobs, which are stabs. And the more stabs you have, like, the more powerful opponents you can defeat. And you can build a deck that's mainly stabby and or hope mainly to mainly... Triangly. Yeah, main, to, to mainly kill monsters, which are some of the cards, or mainly triangly to mainly buy other cards. Uh, yes. And I don't know which is better, and sometimes I don't really do either, and it works out fine, and I win, and I don't always know why. It's quite <laughs> random, but it's so easy to play that I don't care, because well, yeah. I just go through and a it, thing, it and it's kind of satisfying. Which makes it a great iPad game, because you just kind of yeah, do you things. Yeah, and... and it makes... Don't play it on the iPad with the noise, with the sound on, because... What's happened? I don't know if this... I mean, obviously it can't happen with a real-life game because a real-life game has no noises. All the sounds in the iPad game are really bad. Okay. They're can, really bad. Can you give me an example? They're just like you kill a card and it's it's just a man in a room who's recorded a sound file going, ah, <laughs> or something. Um, or... And like they, you know, they've done it in one take, and that's it. And they've gone off to have a burger. Um, There's, I prefer also your, the card art. Is, I prefer your stories of the carcass on iPad at, and what it would yell to you as you were trying to fall asleep. Oh no! It's your turn now. And it would light up, so you'd be in bed at night, you know, in your bedroom <laughs> in the darkness, and it's three in the morning, and it could be someone like Daniel Solis who's in America on a different time, and he wants to play carcass on with you. And you're dark, and you're you know sleep, and you're thinking about what you're thinking about when 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 it's bedtime, and you're just drifting off to sleep. And there's a bright light, and there's a deep man's voice going, "It's your turn now." <laughs> Which and you does think, sort of no, you would think there's a man in the me. room with you, a kind of yeah. And I'm so used to there being a man in the room with me to attack me because I live in London. That you know, I'm instantly gun under the pillow, grabbing, <laughs> grabbing for that. And you just shoot um, the iPad. That happened to uh, my friend, actually. Yeah, it's, but yes, uh, it's. I don't really know. I quite like it. I wouldn't recommend it to people who really care about games. 
but I've had I've played it loads and I've had fun playing it. And we've been riding the mundane train to the boring town. Awful. The art's for... awful. The art's awful. I'm oh God, sorry. I hate the art. Yeah, the art is weird. The mundane train. The mundane um... train to boring town has been running for 25 minutes now. Can we play? A I'm game? sorry. Can we play a game that's? Ex- can we talk about a game that excites the hell out of me? Uh, I liked Alien Artifacts. You played Race for the Galaxy. Colon, Alien Artifacts. Alien Artifacts. Yeah, and I like Race for the Galaxy, and it has a lot of new cards that feel balanced. But it changes... Okay, so first of all, people should know that Alien Artifacts has been kind of... Rio Grande have been delayed for like two years? Yeah, it had a really long... I don't know why that happened. It had a, a thing where for ages people didn't know when it was coming out. Mm. So Race for and the Galaxy delayed again. is this mad, beautiful design that we reviewed ages back that we'd recommend to just about anybody that... It's a game where you have a hand of cards that all depict different things that might be part of your intergalactic holdings, as you're like a sort of space landowner. But the cards also represent your currency. So if you want to put down a planet or buy it, then you have to throw away three other options. Yeah. And then everything you put down affects everything else. So it's a... It, we are like, yeah, if the heart of a, of a good game is interesting decisions, Race for the Galaxy, it turns everything into a heartbreaking decision. It is so good. And then, they've expanded it a lot, but Alien Artifacts is something new which you can't combine with any of the other expansions. You can't because it's not balanced in that way. And it has and a board now. And it has a board and a kind of a sub-game which you can play, which I don't know if I'm very excited about, so I didn't actually dive into that. I was much more excited about the cards. And the thing is, um, Race for the Galaxy had, what, three expansions? Like Brink of War and Rebel vs. Imperium and something else? Storm gather- Gathering Storm? Yes, I think so. Which At which point your Galaxy deck is like... It's really big. Two hand widths tall, and it's so exciting to play because you don't know what you're going to get. It's really exciting, but uh, a, a lot of people who are experienced players said it became a bit imbalanced and things didn't quite fit together. And the idea of Alien Artifacts is... I think it's partly like a reset of like base deck plus this. Wait, are you? Oh, what you mean with all the expansions? It becomes unbalanced. Yeah, and so with alien artifacts, uh, I don't believe you can play alien artifacts with the other expansions. The idea is it's almost like a it's a, a reboot or a yeah. reset. And it, from what I played, it did feel a bit more balanced, and there were a lot more interesting cards that did a weird mix of here's a bonus but also a penalty. Mm. Um, and they had again, they had the same. What I think is quite good sci-fi card art, and it yeah, was... it's that sort of slightly pulpy, almost nineteen fifties. Yeah, magazine yeah, it really is art. Um, and I just enjoyed playing it again and having new options and so new cards. So this is good. This is good if people have bought Race for the Galaxy and maybe they want a way of just breathing a whole new. That's what gasp it felt like. Life into it. Yeah, that's what it felt like. So to tell me. me about this game in the middle with the people and the because there's a I, I can't tell you much. About but you could tell me roughly what it is. There are some happened. people and you move them around a board and you explore something. Yeah, it's a well, it's an alien artifact in the in the that you've all collectively found, right? And you're yes. kind of working your way towards the middle of it with little explorers. Yeah, with little uh, space people. And uh, <laughs> did anyone get? To, and you tried to get to the middle. <laughs> I think so. I didn't. I didn't really. I didn't really. Did you I not just, pay attention to what anyone else was doing? I didn't play it. I just played with the cards because it's a separate game. What? It's a separate. Th- yeah, it's a separate thing. It's like oh, well, a yeah, separate it's, thing. It's a separate mini game. But other people in the game you were playing were exploring this thing. No. No, I th- it was a thing that we didn't include in the thing. Right, so the most exciting element of this module you didn't actually play with. I, d- I like Race for the Galaxy. This is Race for the Galaxy! Oh my god, oh wow. The mundane train has crashed, it's fallen <laughs> it's off. It's not mundane, I had Fallen off the rails. I had a great time playing Race for the Galaxy. Right. Chocolate it, on my finger from a, earlier. As opposed to the new... Exp- I hope that... Okay. It is chocolate. I know I was scratching. Oh, I give chocolate. up. I give up. Let's let's end with the most mundane game that you've now played that Well, you all right. So before. I also played Lords of Waterdeep, which I haven't played for a long time. And people asked us lots of questions about Lords of Waterdeep, didn't they? They said, have we played it? And we said, no, until eventually you played it and you said yes. And you said, mm, mm, mm. Sorry, I just fallen asleep because you talked about... I thought you were listening to the bird outside. What's happening? And then I played Lords of Waterdeep, and I thought, this is quite nice light worker placement, and it's got this interesting thing where you can put down buildings, and every turn, every game of Lords of Waterdeep can be different, because you'll put down different buildings that then people use for worker placement, and they have different powers, and then the next game, there might be a different selection of buildings you put down that have different powers. Yeah, but something... (laughs) Okay, so Lords of Waterdeep is a game where... It's a D&D universe game yes. where you're all lords in a city. I and got ahead of myself. You, you got excited. Quests come up and you're trying to collect warriors and sorcerers and thieves and clerics 
to send off and complete these quests. So it's kind of like if you zoom back out of D&D, you're kind of the Machiavellian masters yes. making sure the orcs don't invade. Yes. And it is so... Blah. Why, why is it so blur? Okay. Do, you not, do you not like heroes being resources and collecting well, like two clerics I find and sending them on a thing? Unbelievable. Okay, so let's take Stone Age. Isn't Stone, Age. Stone Age is a worker placement game, which isn't even a game I like. <laughs> But what it does is it locks boring. victory points into... It is boring. But what at least even that does with victory <laughs> points is it says you're collecting sets. And the sets and the cards you're getting are only going to be counted at the end game. And only then will you know how well you've done and how valuable they are and who's in the lead and all this stuff. Yes. Lords of Waterdeep is just... Oh, I've got my four heroes. I'm going to send them off on a quest. I get ten points. And then it just... It, emptiness like just a sort of tumbleweed blows across the game and well i'm gonna do that again with a quest that's worth 14 victory points there's nothing to it also the thing i don't like is that with stone age you have to feed people you desperately need that wood you need you do. this you need that with lords of Waterdeep, the thing that makes it so easy going that i feel like everybody enjoys is that fundamentally any place you, you can kind of go anywhere and get a nice reward it's less of the. Would you know? It's, it's like being on holiday. It remo- it's like being in San Francisco. Rem- I'll just go anywhere and it'll be nice. It'll, it removes the only exciting thing of these games. It's like a game. Just I, the possibility for failure, which is it, it's tense. It's like okay, if, if the interesting decisions are what's important, mm. then Lords of Waterdeep didn't have any interesting decisions for me. You can send someone anywhere, ah. get a thing. And you're not entirely sure what everyone else is working towards. Building a building is good. Getting people is good. Getting gold is good. Getting more quests is good. It There's nothing there! Anyway, I didn't like it. But, but. I, I played a workplacer that I just reviewed on the site called Viticulture. Which you did like. It's, yeah, it's good. It, I wouldn't put it over the, the game, the worker placement and strategy games we really love, but it was good. And that has a, a really great multi-tiered system for making the wine you have to sell. Because any step of it, other players can get in the way of you because you first of all you desperately need to plant vines you really need that then you really need to get the grapes the grapes off them I like because grapes. once the grapes are out the grapes can start being aged and as wine ages it becomes better mm. then of course you really need to get the grapes into wine bottles so they can be made into different types and then of course you need to sell the stuff and if any player gets in your way at any point and of course you're free to get in the way of anyone else it's it's crunchy. You can practically hear the crack as your heads bang together in, in this uh, in this struggle. Mm-hmm. I didn't in, I didn't entirely love it just because it didn't hinge quite together. You can read my review if you're curious. But Lords of Waterdeep did not have that for me. You didn't feel. I mean, I felt I was clashing quite a lot in in Waterdeep when I was ju- trying to leap on resources or I was trying to use power. Does th- the whole thing where I think you go to the docks and there are certain docks cards you play that just interfere with other The intrigue people. cards, yes. Yeah. But the thing is, is because everyone's objectives are secret, and like the quest they're trying to do is secret, and their overall objective is secret, there's no way of entirely... I mean, you just drop that card and go, ha-ha, without being able to... Are, they, are their quests secret? Quite how valid are they? I, it's, I played it God a long time ago. Now the, the, I had a secret role. Maybe it's just a secret role in your quests are public. Yeah, I think the quests were public. But yeah, there is a there is also a secret well, you... role where you're a person who does a thing like filing or faxing or uh, admin or human resources for heroes. Or, you know all that kind of like you have you have a secret job. Secret job. Uh, is your sec- I quite liked it. I found it easy and accessible, and I thought it had enough friction between other people. But it's an interesting point you make because you, it's hard to sort of abjectly fail in it. Yes. In the way that you can abjectly fail in, like, Agricola, where you just all your babies don't eat. <laughs> and it, Or, like, even in Caverna, which we just reviewed, or Keyflower, mm. you're working towards combos that you really need. Whereas mm. with Waterdeep, if you fail a quest, it's... It doesn't have the opportunity for moments of greatness or tremendous failure. Everyone's clashing all the time. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. Also, everybody is failing to be interesting <laughs> ceaselessly. It's like the intrigue cards for me feel like crutches to make the game exciting because you draw a card and it says, hey, you've drawn a card, here's your power that you can do to make the game temporarily interesting. And you play it and everyone goes, "Ah, oh, you haven't Aww. done anything. I don't like Laws of Waterdeep. Aww. 
Well, I, I made some buildings and they were my buildings and other people used them and I got stuff and sometimes I used them. Uh, and uh, I did. I went on a quest and did a thing. You didn't go on a quest. You sent people to go on a quest. You never came back. and t- You transformed two warriors into six victory points. That's pretty much capitalism. Shit. That's how it works. <laughs> I ground those people into the, what's next? <laughs> what's next? Next is something actually exciting. Okay. Settle down, everyone. I want your holiday reports out now. Smith, you're up first. Smith! Okay, Paul, you have been on an exciting trip to Games Developers Conference in San Francisco. I have. 2014. I have. I was there. I was there, and I was... What am I saying? Well, I've I got went a, there. I mean, I'm just agreeing with you. I'm going to do my Jeremy Paxman now. And okay. going to drill... I'm going to avoid all the questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've got three exciting people and exciting encounters that you had... And we're going to discuss them all in okay. turn. And I'm going to get to the bottom of what really happened. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, okay, so first off, um, is it true that you convinced Warren Spector, creator of Deus Ex and System Shock... Well, I did. ...to buy a copy of this Quantum? This is true. This is true. I don't know if I convinced him. I accidentally, without... Deus Ex is my favourite video game. Is it true all of this happened in a toilet? Not all of it. Some of it. Did I... you follow him into the toilet because he wouldn't buy Quantum? No. <laughs> no. Yes. No. Uh, what happened was I might have been in the gents and I might have been washing my hands and looked to one side and thought, that man looks like Warren Spector and it sort of behaves like Warren Spector and his name badge said Warren Spector. And <laughs> the, then and you thought the evidence here is... is I, I was like Columbo or I was like, what's the woman? One more thing, you're Warren Spector. No, what's the woman in Murder, She Wrote? What's her name? Oh, um... Jessica Fletcher. Oh, I don't know. I think it's just, I was like Jessica Fletcher. I sort of, I was friendly, but beneath that friendliness was a terrible <laughs> darkness. Um... <laughs> yeah. And I, I said, I talked to him about that and then about... Who's the old, old Agatha Christie-style detective? I think who, that's Miss Marple. Who uses the fact... Yeah, who uses the fact that she is elderly and no one yes. suspects her to just fuck up murderers. I'm sure that's Miss Marple who goes... She goes around appearing... Doddery and... Harmless. And I'm sure there's a thing once where she's like, she's spraying flowers in the garden and she has to get the murderer to convince... To sort of admit who they are. And then the murderer tries to attack her or something and she sprays them, but it's not water. Oh. It's, like, it's something horrible like bleach or something acidic. Wow. I'm sure that happens in one of them and you, you realise that she's not, she's not actually <laughs> doddery. Did you, nasty. did you spray at Warren Spector with bleach or anything else? Well, I said something about liking Deus Ex and we left the gents and we started talking about board games. Cause wait, that's wait, 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 wait. Well, Sorry, I do, I'm going to get onto the board game part of this eventually, but how did you begin that conversation? Like, Warren Spector's penis is out. And you no, that's, he's so, washing his hands. I liked Deus Ex. He's washing his hands. But did you just say, I really like Deus Ex? Who at GDC didn't like Deus Ex? It was, I, I am good at meeting people, and I very dim- diplomatically just said something like, you're Warren Spector, it's nice to meet you, I was a big fan of this, it's... Okay. Uh, and I'm, and he asked me like who I was and what I did, and I said, "Well, I do this, and I'm here to do this, and I'm interested in this, and like board games." And <laughs> I video do this. Games. I harass yeah. men in toilets. Um, there's a, it's a for some people that's a legitimate business. Sure, sure. And I, we sort of walked to the board game area because we'd started talking about them, and that's his history. Is he worked, I think, at TSR, and he designed oh, yes. the role playing game Tune, which is a bizarre role playing game where you're all cartoon characters and. Mm. things happen like you can't be killed but if you're crushed by an anvil and you know you're flat then actually that's potentially an advantage because someone can slip you under a door I do it's f- that kind of role playing game I feel like cartoons are like a, a tremendously visual medium and that well I just I struggle to imagine being a GM and describing how hilariously you get hit by a hammer it's I, I can't remember I played it when I was about 14 which is a long time ago it? and it was it was full of that kind of Weird problem solving things like you know you have a hole and you put the hole anywhere you like and then that's the hole that you go into and the hole leads somewhere else. Okay, so it's you very know it's creative. all cartoon. Yeah, it relies on that. And you persuaded him to buy a copy of Quantum. I sort of did. We we walked over to the board game area and Eric Zimmerman's Quantum was there and people were playing it and there was a really good guy demoing it who could explain it really well and there were some people playing and Warren instantly went oh that's that's Eric Zimmerman's game. And watch people, and I said, "Yeah, it's really interesting because it's got these different mechanics, and they they're all different, but they link together. Like even like where you put your ships becomes a barricade, and 
you know, just trying to land on a planet is a maths problem that your opponent disrupts by blowing up a ship or whatever. And he went, I like maths problem you can solve by blowing things up. That's good. Yeah. Uh, And then he just opened up his phone and sort of looked at it on his phone on Amazon and then bought it there. And I thought, oh, that's nice. It's really interesting. We talked about his dragon flying game that he made in the 80s for Dragonlance because he did that. And was it, was it a board a, game? Yeah, it was, a, I think, a dragon-flying board game, which is basically about dog-fighting dragons. But dragon you know there's arts. a game of dog-fighting dragons that just been, that's just been announced? Yeah, there is. Using which, the new uh, Wings of War system. It's funny, because that instantly made me think of that. Uh, we had a nice chat, and he went somewhere, and I didn't want to bug him the whole time. And then you I met him, met him again the next day, and he had no memory of who I was. Oh. I don't think he did. He didn't act as if he did. Okay, well, I think I've got the real story, which is uh, that he was pretending. The reason he didn't remember you is because he was pretending not to remember you because you're a creepy pervert who harassed him in a toilet. I've solved that mystery. Okay. Moving That's on. sad. I feel uh, sad now. Anthony, just because I just solved it. I Anthony solved Hopkins it. was there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like a board game. Damn your eyes, sir. Damn your eyes. Uh, as he dies, Catan and someone moves the robber onto his, uh, yes. his face. Um, Anthony Birch, popular YouTube sensation. Yes. Anthony Birch. Ashley Birch's sister. Uh, f- <laughs> Brother. Oh, he did that as well, and now I've done it. Um, oh. He had uh, a... Pro- so he, he has a series called um, Hey, I Watch Plane. He does, and they... Uh, it's a very funny YouTube series about video games. It's really good, and they look at video games, and they say very intelligent things about video games, which hopefully we say about board games. And they're know. actually friends with our, our friends board with life they uh, are so that's the... it's all just an incestuous thing but he had a prototype of a game right he did we met to play netrunner uh which was good fun but he also brought a prototype of a game called spin click bang i think is the name and this sounds pretty cool it does right and first of all it's cool because his attitude to prototyping was really neat which is it's a card game and he did it all on business cards and he was doing what a lot of people do when they prototype, which is they say, oh, well, you know, it looks all rough. It doesn't look very good. But it it was instantly that thing that, that reminds you that if you have an idea for a game, it doesn't really matter sort of what materials you have to hand. If you can just put together a rough prototype, that's worth way more than how sexy it looks. Well, yeah, it's funny, actually. I was listening to um, a panel with some board game designers, on mm-hmm. it, including um, Richard Lanius and some other people. And they were saying that um, these days when pitching your game to a publisher, there is no excuse for your prototype to not look perfect. Like, as in, essentially with Photoshop and sort of, like, free materials. Oh, really? Because it's not obviously not the thing that's going to be published. You use pictures yeah. of art and actors and you, pictures of art. Um, and materials, you can get nice components. There's no reason anyone who's designing a board game and taking it to a publisher can't make something that looks awesome. Oh. So, and that's kind of a, basically... Ooh. Well, it's kind of, if... The problem isn't that it looks bad. The problem is, if, if you go to me, a publisher, and say, I made this prototype, and I want you to look at it, and it looks like shit. It's like, how much do you really care about it? No, that's you know? true. That's a perfectly good point. Anyway, um, that's just... A tangent. A tangent. Don't think no. I've forgotten about that I'm getting to the bottom of this story. The bottom. I hate bottoms. Uh, I know. Uh, well, uh, but it was good enough, like, on business cards, just print some stuff on business cards. What do you do in the game? Like cards. What you do, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, but his pitch, his pitch is, congratulations, you've got to the world championships. Bad news is it's Russian roulette. Okay. And uh, very basically, each player has a hand of six of these cards, which represent the six chambers in the gun. And one of the cards says blam, and it's a bullet. And the idea, the most basic is idea... Is it last man standing? Well, there's a two-player version, which is a bit different, or there's sort of a more party game version with a bunch of people where you you bet how many times you can pull the trigger. And so you've shuffled your deck of cards, and somewhere in there is a bullet. And it might just be a case of you saying, oh, I reckon I can do it three times. And if you don't die, then you're, in, you're through to the next round. But, uh, I mean, that's the basic concept. But then it instantly gets more complicated when you have cards that give you a certain power, which is put another bullet into someone's gun. Or, um, so these cards are separate from your deck of cards? They are. They're special power cards that you can earn through a way that I've temporarily forgotten okay and is it like so you get through to the next round and one person gets knocked out each yeah round? one or several people and the idea is to stay in and get victory points do you get additional by... cards between the rounds or is it you like... do um this all sounds neat so it you could... does sound kind of neat because the cards do things like as well as like temporarily making you bulletproof for one round so you can shoot yourself or loading more bullets into someone else's gun so you swap out a blank card for a bullet card you can do things like swap guns around 
And you get into ridiculous situations where oh, you God, have so like you a gun one. with five bullets in, <laughs> but then you play a card that gives it to the other person. Wow. Or you just end up playing cards that stop you from actually shooting each other and just you're constantly passing the gun back and forth. Until you've probably, like in a masquerade style, forgotten. Yeah, there is also that element of, especially if you maybe have just four or five people, you forget like, how many bullets is in that person's gun. Are they <laughs> what, what card have they just played face down? What's, is that going to make them bulletproof? Or is that because you see what cards people are, I think, taking from the center when they're face up? So you know, uh, someone took a bulletproof power a while ago, and it's it's that kind of the, the mechanic of it is really simple, and then the uh, the special powers just make it a bit more a bit more sort of unknown and complex sounds great. and risky. Sounds great. It, I, like I mean, a... it's, it's a prototype and it's rough, but I think it's a really good concept for a game and no, it was fun to play. I mean, it's funny. I, I, like, I love to see games experiment with this, you know, risk management. It's why we love Skull and yeah. Roses. And ultimately, I'm realising it's all Netrunner is. Netrunner, you, reach a yeah. certain, you can reach a certain point with Netrunner where you can, you can know every card in the pool like I do now. And still, though, you, you don't know what the invisible cards are in the runner's hand or what the court was put out. So ultimately, you still have to go, ah, oh, 50-50 chance that this is going to ruin me. I'll do it anyway. Cause, and weighing that up. Because ultimately, players will lose if they don't take gambles when yeah. it, the time is perfect. Yeah. So I just it's such an easy mechanic because if, if you make a game like this, which is you know Russian roulette and gambling and betting and making players bet how well they will do, yeah. the players can... They they can make their own fun. Yeah, and they under, the players understand what they're getting into, and they can push their luck as much as they want. Rather than yeah. the game having to provide the fun, the players can do ridiculous things and or like be chances in and of themselves. It's like Formula D, um, that racing Brum. game we have where you can gear up and, and crash and crash, and it's fine because you're the person who did that to yourself. That's true. Yeah, no, that's. I think there's a lot to be said for letting players basically uh, take terrible risks. Yeah. <laughs> river dance in a minefield or whatever they want to do they can do that if they like uh, and that was actually what we talked about when we were talking about Netrunner as well was uh, the element of bluffing or lying or taking taking risks um, and we jumped on the terminal by, by chance we jumped on the Terminal 7 podcast and Anthony said that for him, the, the moment where he got Netrunner was the moment where he realised you've got all this stuff you're supposed to defend as a corp and you can't defend everything, but hang on, that's the game. And it's more like, what do you leave open? Where do you, where do you take a risk? And yeah. Your opponent doesn't know where you're taking a risk. No, so. there's an element of... Um, uh, initial players will, will start playing Netrunner, especially if they're playing a deadly corp like Jinteki, will say, um, oh, I see, I have to trap people and it's all mind get It's kind of not because... Mm. As soon as you get vaguely competitive, there are no tells, and players will do things like deliberately mix up their play styles. Like, if they're not running on your servers, then they will start running on your servers halfway through the game just to make sure you can't predict anything. And at that point, it purely becomes players having to gamble based on the probability mm. of the kind of deck you're running, which is as entertaining, but never yeah. is not kind of the. It's like how you think poker is a game of, of reading people, and it's. and it less so than that. But yeah. Skull and Roses is a game of reading people, or doing your best to. Although also somewhat still. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it's fine. Yes. Ultimately, it's... there still isn't a game where you have to look someone in the eyes and tell if they're lying, except for board, like ridiculous party games where it's like, read out a lie and read out the truth and see which one is... Yeah, I think, yeah I think you're right. Uh, but that was interesting, and that was fun to play. That sounds boss. It makes me smile hearing about Hopefully it. Hopefully so... it makes everyone feel more inspired to prototype as well. Yeah, Anthony Birch, make that thing. It sounds... Badass. And finally, you had a long talk about board games with um, uh, Brenda Romero. I did. And we've talked about Brenda Romero a bit before. And she's a video game designer and a board game designer. And she designed a couple of uh, kind of one-off games, which are more an exercise in... They're more like thought experiments than just a board game. Yeah, these are the kind of board games that get really short shrift uh, on places like Board Game Geek within the traditional hardcore board game community, but within the design community uh, of people who... You know, sort of like academics, who people who design video games as well. Mm. Brenda Romero's games are actually quite highly regarded, right? They, they are. And she, she also teaches game design and she is really interested in... She's particularly interested in showing anyone who wants to design video games, board games, to get them thinking about different concepts. I think that's very common now. Ultimately, yeah. we all, we're all pretty much agreed that it's just play. It's just the design of play. And yeah. a board game lessons are entirely transferable to video games too yeah there's all kinds you could potentially learn 
So, talk people through Brenda Romero's board games, if they're not uh, familiar. Uh, she did one about... Uh, it's not very pleasant. She did one about... As an educational game for a daughter about crossing the Atlantic and basically uh, Im- importing slaves and how you have a certain amount of slaves that I, th- I think the the figures are certain colours because they come from certain families and you can only fit so many onto a ship. So you immediately start breaking the families up because you can't fit them all onto the ship and then you go across to the United States and you have to feed a certain amount of these people and you can't feed all of them so you have to throw some of them off the ship because it's kind of all you can do to, to get from A to B. And the idea of this was it was an educational game to explain to her sister, her sister, sorry, her daughter... Um, historically what happened because I think her her daughter went to school for Black History Month and had a very sanitised sort of education and and Brenda very much wanted to say no there's nothing it's not very pleasant this is what happened yeah and of course then there's Train which is and then there's Train which which is is probably the most famous one which is ultimately about which I think we've mentioned before yeah which is uh, you start I think with like a German typewriter with the instructions for the gaming that you have to pull out and the the instructions she told me are deliberately vague to immediately start getting people uh, interpreting them or arguing about them, which is actually a deliberate thing she's done, which I didn't know. Um, and the the instructions are basically like fit people into well, so using as much that as you can. using what is traditionally considered an irritation of board games where players yeah. don't know how it's meant to work as an actual. I'll, yeah, I'll come back to this in a minute because it was a really interesting thing. Um, but yeah, that, it starts off like that and then you try and jam people into trains as efficiently as possible and then take them to different destinations. And at some point in the game, you'll get to the phase where you draw all the destinations and you realise all the destinations are death camps uh, used in World War Two. So I've seen uh, uh, what I considered, or at least as far as I could tell, a fairly valid criticism of train, which is uh, it's... Confusing in the sense that the players are sort of put in the roles of these train operators, but it's implied that they are somehow uh, surprised by what they are doing at the end, or the it's possible to draw from the fact that to, to draw the fact that the people who operated these trains were somehow not complicit or being lied to in what they were doing, which I think has been disproved at this point. I think that's really interesting, and I think that's a perfectly valid point to make. Um, I. From what I've heard of people playing Train, a lot of people uh, were sort of more aware. And I don't know if anyone has... I don't know if everyone's come into the game and just started playing and, you know, that moment of surprise happens. I think a lot of people have immediately seen the game and uh, players have approached it and thought this is suspect or curious to how like the instructions are written and how the game portrays similar to the slavery game you were talking about, there's uh, something tremendously worthy in... The experiment of reducing these terrible crimes, atrocities, to a logistical exercise. A logistical exercise and also, as you mentioned, kind of revelation is also potentially an interesting thing to have happen to players. That surprise, that revelation. So what did you and Brandon talk about? Uh, Well, we talked about that and we talked about um, her her being deliberately vague with the rules I thought was really interesting. Mm. Because uh, she wanted people to be able to do things to try and reinterpret the game or change the game or alter the game some way and just almost rebel against it, which she said people do. People people would try and be disruptive or they would try and find ways to sabotage the game, which she thinks is a perfectly... Like, she doesn't believe there's necessarily a way to play a game. Um, and obviously it's kind of it's an experiment and you could call it an art game I suppose it's not supposed to be something you sit down and at the end you work out who's won it's more the the process that's interesting but she also talked about um, how every when you design a game every mechanic in the game can be part of the character and it can matter and the the example she gave is uh, deciding who's first player in a game and she said the moment you do that that's your first mechanic in any game Probably it's the first thing in the rules, maybe, is to decide who the first player is. And at that moment, you immediately need to do something that's in character to get people thinking about the game. Um, and if you think about something like Small World, it's like the player with the pointiest ears. And that's quite funny because, you know, but ah, Pandemic it's a silly has game. the player who was sickest last, which actually has you immediately discussing illness before yes, the game begins. Yes, which is also interesting. And for Train, she said, uh, for the first player thing, you have to... Uh, the, the first player is the player who seems the most likely to lie, which is interesting because 
trains usually somewhere public and it's usually a group of strangers who approach it and she said what that instantly does is make everyone uncomfortable and make everyone uh, look at each other and make everyone distrusting well it's the um it's dog eat dog the indie rpg has the oh, rule yeah. i've talked about before of the richest yes. player has this role and which, isn't that immediately maybe a little bit uncomfortable oh tremendously so and like players have talked about not wanting to play with that which of course escapes the point of a game about colonialism and like but i thought that was yeah i can totally relate to how that works in dog eat dog as well but i it's like that she was talking about the atmosphere of a game being actually really important and she really likes the idea of immediately establishing something that it could be funny or it could be unsettling or it could be... Um... Well, yeah, if you can get... Like, we always say that if players are laughing before the game's even started, yes. that's what you want. Yeah. And if funny things happen in the rules explanation, that's perfect. Yeah, and obviously Czech games are pretty good at that as well. Their, their rules yes. explanations are full of jokes and nonsense and references to things. and yeah. That immediately gets you in the kind of mood. What's the... Uh, in Space Alert, you're, you're given a big thing to read out to teach the game as an instructor and it says, okay, you talk to your friends, everybody put on these jumpsuits uh, don't worry if there's stains inside them implying that the jumpsuits have been reused and haven't even been cleaned properly yeah. which tells you like all kinds of awful things about the death rate of, uh... and I I, I, that, I mean that's really cool and actually I'm surprised how much we probably don't see that in board games necessarily um, yeah I was thinking about it today uh, but that's actually quite boring a threat my own inter- <laughs> my own thoughts on it are really boring um but it was to do with something Fantasy Flight posted today, talking about how traditionally we view board... I'm boring myself. <laughs> traditionally we view board games as a very auteur-driven medium, like Shut Up, Sit Down is quote-unquote is, is quote guilty of this because we very much look at designers and it's only the designers we tend to be interested in, hmm. as much as we will copy on uh, comment on a bad or good manual or beautiful artwork. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they were talking about how it's a work of dozens and dozens of people at Fantasy Flight. Uh, see, yeah. see, the thought didn't go anywhere. Uh, no, it's but it's including rules thing. writers who I'm sure each have their own style and uh, and so on. What did, what else did you and Brett talk about? Uh, Pull me out of this hole. Well, in in terms of rules, she this is less interesting. But she is a big oh my God. she is a big fan of any kind of linearly written rules. Where oh uh, yes, um, we were talking about this before the podcast. Yeah, uh, and how my favorite thing is just the cleverest thing manuals that come with a separate sheet of paper that tell you here's how you set up the game and they walk you through they kind of sneak rules in there they walk you through the setup but they tell you what the things are that you're putting down and yeah. what they do and suddenly you kind of know half the yeah, game so, and you've already got it on the table in front of you and then when you read the manual you don't have to check to previous pages you look at the board in front of you and, yes. and it's suddenly a huge visual aid yeah and so, she was very much I think video games have become better at this because video games show us things and they take us to places uh, and she was very much saying don't please don't write manuals where you refer back to a previous page or you refer forward or you jump back and forth there should be a way for pretty much every game where you have uh, a linear rules explanation that well, if says I, if you do I this had, then you do this if i'd been there this. i might have uh, potentially there's a problem there which is that <clears throat> like the netrunner manual is so bad t- theoretically but the thing is it's not really written to teach you the game it's written mm. to be an adequate reference and the problem i encountered with keyflower is it does this it walks you through every season in the game Oh my god, you are so screwed if you want to know anything because mm. when the game is taught in a linear fashion, you need to know what happens in this specific circumstance. It's like turning to trying to find a sentence in a novel where, and you have a vague idea, it's somewhere in the middle. And you, but whereas Fantasy Flight's manuals, at least, if you need a reference, you can flip them ah. open, turn to the right page, and find it. That's interesting, though. Mm. Many different, different, different paths, different strokes. Uh, yeah. So there. Uh, was that the end of your conversation with her? Uh, Did you saw Warren Spector entering the toilet and you bolted off? I saw him from a distance texting. Okay. He was John Romero was playing in a Doom competition and Warren Spector walked up next to him and just stood texting for ages and neither of them spoke to each other even though they worked together. So I guess <laughs> it was that thing where they're so comfy, they're just in the same space. Yeah, sure. And that was a thing that's exciting if you like video games from the 90s like I do. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, and that was it. I ate a cream puff in a park. Was it good? I got covered in cat hair. The park was good. The cream puff wasn't so good. Mm. Uh, but we're getting away from board games now. Should we answer some questions? We've put some questions on Facebook. We've put a question on Facebook and people... We put the question... We put a thing. We put the question of... Oh my God, let's go. Okay. <laughs> and now, the shut up and sit down sweat lodge. Oh, it's very hot. Oh, it's so hot. Questions. Mm.
Okay. Questions. Questions. We're Questions. Ap- we're approaching the end of the podcast. Questions. So let's rip through these. Rob Harper. On, Hello. On Facebook wants to know what our guilty gaming secrets are. What are the bad games we enjoy very much? Uh, what's yours? I need to think for a moment. I need to think for a moment. What's oh. yours? Oh, sh- Um... Sometimes uh, I feel that yours is Robo Rally because it's Robo Rally is a w- award-winning game. You are sad, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, all right then. It's not Robo Rally um, by Richard Garfield, no less. A, a for me, patron saint of table what, gaming. What, what, what games exist that are sort of a bit sort of silly, but should they look? I keep thinking like I, I need to mention something like Hero Quest, almost where like rules wise, it's sort of ah, uh, that's a bit sort of fluffy, yeah, and not very neat and full of silly. Like Hero Quest had roll and move, just <laughs> the stupidest thing to ever have because in like a, in a game with in heroes. a dungeon, yeah, like my ah, oh, my wizard can only move two spaces this turn. Why? Why <laughs> can that only happen? Uh, I'm going to um, say Wiz War for similar, like just because it's. It's just bad. It goes on for too long. It's the, you have to use all the house rules in the back of the mm. manual to make it work. We just did a Let's Play, but I love it. And I desperately want them to release more expansions so I can find the money to make my game even bigger. Because somehow that just color and silliness needs to exist. It's like a... It's like a you can just paint stories with that game. Mad, stupid stories. Every turn is dumb. For me, I, it might be Ascension, which we've already mentioned, because I just throw cards out and stuff happens. And That's your guilty it's pleasure. It's okay. Or Glenmore, but Glenmore's good. Jesse James wants to know, Big Spoon or Little Spoon? Um, uh, so for me, when I'm eating a dessert, I want a Little Spoon, because then I can have really small mouthfuls, and I can make the dessert last longer. But if I'm having a soup, it's got to be a Big Spoon. It's classic. I always have a Little Spoon anyway, except in any bed situation, I am naturally the Big Spoon. Bed situation because I'm five foot eleven. Uh, but I'm six two. Yeah, but I'm not in bed with you. Not since that time. Dan Glovier before Amsterdam uh, says with some games are so close to being awesome. If you could wave your wizard wand and make one change to one game, what would it be? Oh. I'd erase the memory of the time in the bed before Amsterdam with the taxi. Um, I think we were talking about games. Oh, well, that was a good... Anyway, uh, that's actually quite a good question. For me, it would be Kingdom Builder, because Kingdom Builder's fine. It's quite good. <laughs> so what change would needs, you make? I'd add something in it to, to make me more excited about it, like just one more mechanic or like a dragon or okay. something. For me, I, we reviewed Rampage on the site recently. Antoine yeah. Mouser's game of... <sighs> Blowing, blowing and knocking down three-dimensional buildings full of meeples that then you have to run around eating them. That you didn't quite... I didn't You quite, liked it. I just... I liked it. It's fine. The moves are kind of small. The board's a bit cramped. I, if I could wave my, my magic wand, I would want... I don't know. Like, just something richer, something longer. Mm. Can't, I, I don't even know. I would want it to be a game I enjoy because I'm desperate to knock down buildings with my friends and it just that game isn't... Quite it didn't the way quite to do deliver it. I'm still keeping wanted. it. I'm not getting rid of it because there's nothing that's come close to hilarious 80s style mm. knocking down your plastic castle. But uh, but Rampage isn't nice. Okay. Rampage is a compromise. Um, Eric Whalen says, is there anything we can do as a community to improve your quality of life besides donations? Which is an incredibly sweet thing. Um, we are... Uh, Passports to lots of other countries. No, Paul. To tie this into... <laughs> Uh, Eric Tengblad said how's that forum coming along for his question the truth is we are really struggling under the weight of the admin that we've received from sending out the gold club bags and sending out missed deliveries I can look to my left and see bags of uh, of extra stuff of envelopes and then I've got dice in my attic and then I've got jiffy bags down there with sweets in them it's kind of a nightmare for a skeleton crew. So we're doing everything we can. It just, things take time. Yeah, time you, is the main thing that we need. Time. You guys have done everything you need and we just need to spin out. That's when you'll get your forum, your full episodes. We just kind of need to get used to operating. A as, full business. As, yeah, a business. Site with infrastructure. Which is, like, for the last three months, uh, Mike, reference press assistant, has been um, just talking to lawyers and accountants. And he doesn't want to do that. Nobody wants him to do that. So that's just all entirely awful. Um, but if you do still want to do something, just commenting and being nice. We have the best community. We do. We're really lucky. In all of games journalism, I swear to God. So just please continue being just awesome to each other. continue having nice conversations with each other because they're kind of fun to read. And if you haven't done it yet, give this cheeky little podcast five stars on iTunes. Or, uh, that, or put, us on, put stuff on Reddit. Yes, put that's stuff on Reddit. always That's all huge. I care about is Reddit. <laughs> Reddit, you, karma points. You are a terrible uh, 
Oh, I was going to say I don't bad go on word. Reddit, actually. Speaking of bad words, I shouldn't say. Um, Calvin Wong says... Uh, oh, I'm going to open up the full thing here. Well, no, I can't because of the way we've got the recording set up. But basically, he wants to know what we think people can do to make board games a safer place without Ooh. things like uh, sort of misogyny or transphobia or racism or what he describes. And I'm paraphrasing all the ugly little pockmarks that are within nerd culture. I would say that's not necessary. I mean, it exists in nerd culture, absolutely, yeah. but it's bad. Ev- it's 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 not ideal everywhere. No, it's not it's ideal everywhere. Tech as well, you know. It's what I would say. You know, rather than converting people and trying to fix the errors of the ways is always good. But for me, I think yeah. the one thing we could all do is get our friends into this. Let's, you know, if you want different people to be playing and enjoying board games, get. Get the, the friend, people the that people you want, you want to be playing board games. Because not only, I mean, you'll be making the hobby bigger and you'll be sort of diluting people who, you know, you don't necessarily agree with. Let's get yeah. more ordinary young people into the hobby. Let's get people playing. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good thing to say is uh, play with the kind of people that you want to play with and introduce them. Yeah. There's the old saying as well, which is that you should be the change that you want to be in the world. And I don't know if I'm trying to Isn't be that, that like which is... There's nothing wrong with Cher. She's uh, got Oscars. She has. So, um, so, but no, you're right. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you you can advocate as well, but I think your idea is also a good one. Bring in the people you want to bring in. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, if your friends aren't playing board games, why not? No, and, you know, obviously uh, be really nasty to them until they do play board games. Be really... Be you know, really rude. Be Say all cruel. kinds of horrible, yeah. like, unforgivable shit. And... and <laughs> hit them until they play board games. <laughs> That's what I did with Paul. And, and I think uh, that'll produce a nicer, happier community. Yeah, done. Great. Uh, thank we, you. We can edit that out, can't thank we? Thank you all so much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Number 15? Uh, God, do we not know? I don't know. Bye. Bye. <laughs>